Greetings from the shadow world, and welcome to Humble Hauntings, where ghost enthusiasts and lovers of the unknown can pull up a seat and make themselves at home. I am your host, MJ McAdams, part-time shadow person, full-time supernatural seeker, and today we journey to phantasmic fortresses which hold more than history within their walls. We will explore the castles that have inspired gothic literature and dance with the dead that linger in their towers. But first, a word from our friends at Dead Time Stories. Hey guys, I'm Sarah. And I'm Stephanie. And we're the hosts of Dead Time Stories. Dead Time Stories, with a Z, is a weekly podcast where we tell you stories of ghosts, hauntings, mysteries, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, the generally eerie, spooky, and all around weird. If you like scary stories, witty banter, and classy broads, we're your ghouls. Gals. Gals. Some of our stories include Eastern State Penitentiary. No. And where is it? Does it sum up 12? The Gettysburg Dime Museum. They were like, show starts at five, Mr. President. He was like, thank you, five. <laughs> no, 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 Stephanie. He was like, thank you, five. <laughs> Fort Mifflin. So the Americans burned down their own fort. They were like, oh, you, you, you want this? You want this? Come Come and get welcome it. to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> and more. New episodes are posted Thursdays at midnight on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Listen and subscribe, rate and review today. And now, for today's Tales of Terror. The castle is on the very edge of a terrible precipice. A stone falling from the window would fall a thousand feet without touching anything. As far as the eye can reach is a sea of green treetops, with occasionally a deep rift where there is a chasm. Here and there are silver threads where the rivers wind in deep gorges through the forests. But I am not in the heart to describe beauty, for when I had seen the view I explored further, Doors, doors, doors everywhere, and all locked and bolted. In no place save from the windows in the castle walls is there an available exit. This castle is a veritable prison, and I am a prisoner. This quote from Bram Stoker's Dracula gives us a glimpse into the castle of the legendary vampire himself. We get this description from Jonathan Harker, a young man on business in Transylvania to help the Count with purchasing a home in London. While there, he discovers that Count Dracula is not what he expected, nor is he quite human. 
And while Harker is only a fictional character, Dracula and his castle, as we know, have some truth rooted in Romanian history. Dracula's real-life counterpart, Vlad Dracula, or Vlad the Impaler, was not a vampire, but his story is just as bloody. This prince of Wallachia and son of Vlad Dracul was known for his particular choice in military tactics, impaling the bodies of his enemies onto giant stakes. In fact, it is estimated that almost 80,000 poor souls met this fate. And while supposedly none of this bloodshed was spilt on the grounds of Braun Castle, there's no denying the haunting feeling one gets from looking upon such a place. While Bram Stoker never visited the castle himself in what is now Romania, there is no doubt that the fortress is the place where reality and fantasy meet. This 13th century building itself could inspire even the dullest imaginations with its secret passages, winding staircases, and grand rooms. The grounds are even said to be haunted by the spirits of slain villagers who roam the earth by the light of the moon. And not only that, Queen Marie of Romania's heart lies deep within the castle's chapel, resting in an ornate golden casket as her will requested. Braun Castle is an all-around gothic dream any way you look at it. There's something about castles. Their towering spires, near impenetrable walls, and hidden pathways all inspire legends both great and terrifying. Whether a song of ice and fire's red keep, or our beloved school of witchcraft and wizardry, Hogwarts, these architectural goliaths are constantly invoking our imaginations providing us with a time machine to venture back into lands of old and delve deeper into the stories that both thrill and haunt us. Krathis Castle is a perfect example of a piece of history that marries the past with the supernatural. The castle is located in Scotland and is home to quite a few mysterious spirits. Venture to the Green Lady's Room a chamber in which you are never alone. Wait until nightfall and you might see a young woman in an elegant green dress, a babe, cradled in her arms as she rocks him by the fireplace. When this castle was renovated in the 1800s, it was this very room that the bones of a child were found underneath the hearthstone of the very same fireplace where the green lady was spotted with her child. And then, there's the white lady, another tragic soul that was believed to be poisoned by her lover's mother. When a young Lord Alexander Burnett fell in love with this mysterious young woman, his mother, Lady Agnes, was hell-bent on keeping them apart. Even if that meant murder. Now, the White Lady, known to most as Bertha, wanders the grounds of the Krathis Castle, searching for the love that was stolen from her so cruelly in life. 
If you venture into Austria, you will find that few castles have a bloodier past than the Mooseham Castle. Many witch trials were held behind those walls. Thousands of young women were set ablaze upon great pyres for the crimes of supposed dark magic and pacts with the devil. But as history shows us time and time again, these hunts for unusual individuals were not only cruel, but based on zero facts. But not everyone met the quick and cruel end by the fire. Some were tortured to death deep below in the castle's dungeons. Though the trials eventually came to an end, the suffering of the women did not. It is said that their souls are bound to Mooseham, which has been given the nickname The Witch's Castle. Castle Ross in County Kerry, Ireland, sat in silence, resting above the Midland Lake, Loch Shalin, with none but the ancient trees and howling wind for company. It was a grim and grey place, a castle as cold and unyielding as the man who once called it home. In 1536, Richard Nugent, the twelfth Lord of Delvin, had Ross Castle constructed on the top of a steep hill on the shores of Low Shillin, which overlooked the enemy territory of the O'Reillys to the north. Not only was the castle's location strategically chosen, but the structure itself took almost several years to erect, every stone hand-cut by master stonemasons to ensure its greatness. With its surrounding defensive buildings and walled living quarters, Ross Castle was not only an impressive fortress for its time, but most of the castle still stands intact today. Rumors of secret grottos and hidden passageways beneath the castle's foundation only add to the building's intrigue. Lord Nugent himself was not as admired as his stone fortress. In fact, he was not loved by his people at all. He ruled the land with an iron fist and a heart as black as the bottomless sea. It was due to his relentless nature that the people dubbed him the Black Baron. A famous story of the Black Baron's cruelty begins innocently enough. A peasant woman had just finished baking a large loaf of bread, leaving it on the windowsill of her cottage to cool. A stray dog passing by smelled the bread and snatched the loaf for his next meal. Realizing that the bread had gone missing, the woman quickly ran outside shouting, Thief! Thief! Startled by the ruckus, the poor dog dropped his bounty as he ran away from the little cottage. Harmless enough, right? Not for the Black Baron. You see, the woman did not see the dog as it ran in fright, nor her loaf that had been scattered in the dirt. She believed that someone had really stolen the food she had worked so hard to prepare. This did not sit well with the Black Baron, disgusted by the lawlessness of his land and people. 
Now, it just so happened that a local beggar was resting beneath a tree that day, and by some cruel twist of fate, the Black Baron and his entourage were out hunting close by. The Baron, spotting the sleeping beggar, was filled with rage as he saw the man, certain he had been the bread thief from town. In no time at all, the vagrant was questioned by the Black Baron, but the beggar was innocent. He had been sleeping in the shade when the loaf had vanished. An ill-tempered man, the Baron was certain he was being played for a fool, and one of his very own subjects was lying to his face. As the ruler of the land, his word was law, and true to his reputation, the Baron acted with pure cruelty. Right by the tree where the beggar had been resting, the entourage prepared a gallows and hung the beggar at the Black Baron's command. It was only later that the loaf of bread was discovered by the townspeople, who upon learning of the beggar's fate, planted a single cross under the gallows tree in remembrance of the innocent man. Now, the Black Baron had a daughter, his only child, who he treasured more than anything in the world. His love for her was the only proof his people had that he was in fact human, and not a mere monster. Her name was Sabina, and she was nothing like her father. She was young, beautiful, and kind, a well-loved figure of the land her family ruled over. She befriended many in the local village and enjoyed long walks along the shores of Lachalin with her governess. Sabina had a rebellious spark. She loved adventure and dreamed of a life beyond the walls of Ross Castle, the dreary gray stone that encompassed her whole world. So as she grew from child into young maiden, she found clever ways to sneak away from her father's protection and explore the Irish countryside alone. That is when she met the strapping young Irishman, Orwin. Sabina first met Orwin as she was strolling along the bridge across the Inny. He was the son of an O'Reilly chieftain, her father's sworn enemy. They began to visit each other daily, and with each visit, the two youths fell deeper and deeper in love. But the more time they spent together in secret, the quicker they realized they could never be together. But they had dreams of marriage, of children, fantasies of growing old in each other's arms. These star-crossed lovers took action, foregoing their fortune and titles to elope and run away together. They would flee by night and take a boat across the vast lake to start a new life, a better life, a life that belonged to them. But much like Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, Sabina and Orwin's hopes of a life together ended in tragedy. The night they set out onto the lake, there was a horrible storm. Despite their best efforts, the boat was blown off course and with one great swell of the waves beneath them, Sabina and Orwin's boat was overturned. Both fell into the deep, dark waters as the storm raged around them. 
Sabina was rescued by her father's men, who had discovered the lover's escape plan. She did not wake for three days, and when she finally regained consciousness, the Black Baron's daughter found herself back within the confines of her chambers. As soon as she could speak, she asked for her beloved Orwin. But Orwin O'Reilly had not been as fortunate as she. He drowned, his body now forever resting beneath the cruel, dark waves. Though she had been spared a similar fate, Sabina found no comfort or happiness. Her one true love was no more, and there was only one way to be reunited with sweet Orwin. Sabina locked herself away in her tower, refusing both food and drink, until finally, her despair and hopelessness gave way to one last slumber, a sleep which she would never awaken from. But Sabina is not gone. Her ghost is seen roaming the castle that she so desperately tried to run from. Her sobs echo across the ancient stone, and if you visit her chambers, there is an unsettling feeling of dread and despair. Though death freed her from her mortal coil, it did not bring her to her beloved Orwin, and it is said that Sabina will never rest until she finds him. And she is not the only soul to roam the halls of Castle Ross. It is said that Sabina's life was the cost of the Black Baron's dark deeds. For the countless lives he took, and for the incurable grief caused by his beloved daughter's passing, Richard Nugent is doomed to roam the castle and the lands he once ruled for eternity. Considered to be the most haunted castle in the world, Leap Castle, located in Ireland, has more than its fair share of ghostly tales. While some historians believe it was built in the 15th century, others claim the castle's construction began in the year 1250, and its history is a bloody one indeed. It was the home to the clan O'Carrolls in the 16th century, who ruled over the land. The Clan O'Carroll was a ruthless one. They were known for not only their bravery, but their ill tempers. In one instance, brother turned on brother during a family mass in the castle's chapel. The two brothers had been feuding, and as a result, one stormed into the chapel and plunged his sword through his brother the priest of Leap Castle. Since then, the church itself has been known as the Bloody Chapel. And the murdered priest? Some say he never left the castle grounds. Many have reported shadows lingering in the chapel by night, and others have witnessed a figure wandering around what was once the home of the priest. But he's far from the only being to lurk within the castle walls. In another part of the castle, 
the apparition of a large and menacing man appears walking up the stairs alone. If you happen to come across him, you might notice him pushing a barrel up the stone steps. But every time he makes it to the top of those stairs, the barrel slips and rolls back down to the castle floor. And then both the man and the barrel vanish. The most chilling spirit by far is the ghost known only as the Red Woman. The O'Carroll clan were a violent bunch and often captured women of enemy clans as prizes. The Red Woman was one of these unfortunate souls. The O'Carrolls captured her, raped her, and when she gave birth to one of their children as a result, the O'Carrolls took the babe from her and sentenced the child to death. We do not know the fate of the Red Woman, but we can assume it was not a happy one. Now her soul is doomed to wander the castle halls, holding a dagger high above her head. Even in death, it seems, she has not given up on vengeance for the cruelty shown to not only her, but her innocent child. But the most frightening occupant in Leap Castle is not a spirit nor human. In fact, it doesn't even have a true name. The beast is simply referred to as it, or the elemental. If you happen to come across the smell of decaying flesh and sulfur as you explore Leap Castle, it can only mean that it is near. The best description we have of this creature was given by Mildred Darby, an Irish novelist of the gothic genre and the owner of Leap Castle until her death in 1932. Darby was a strong believer of the supernatural and recorded her experience with it in the Occult Review Journal in 1909. Suddenly, two hands were laid on my shoulders. I turned around sharply and saw as clear as I see you now a gray thing standing a couple feet from me, with its bent arms raised as if it were cursing me. I cannot describe in words how utterly awful the thing was, its very undefinableness rendering the horrible shadow more gruesome. Human in shape, a little shorter than I am, I could just make out the shape of big black holes like great eyes and sharp features, but with the whole figurehead, face, hands, and all was gray, unclean, bluish gray something of the color and appearance of common cotton wool. But oh, so sinister, repulsive and devilish. My friends who are clever about the occult things say it is what they call an elemental. The thing was about the size of a sheep, thin, gaunt, and shadowy in parts. Its face was human, or to be more accurate, inhuman in its vileness, with large holes of blackness for eyes, loose, slobbery lips, and a thick saliva-dripping jaw slopping back suddenly into its neck. Nose? It had none. 
only spreading cancerous cavities, the whole face being a uniform tint of gray. This, too, was the color of the dark, coarse hair covering its head, neck, and body. Its forearms were thickly coated with the same hair. So were its paws, large, loose, and hand-shaped, and it sat on its hind legs. One hand or paw was raised, and a claw-like finger was extended, ready to scratch the paint. Its lusterless eyes, which seemed half-decomposed and looked incredibly foul, stared into mine, and the horrible stench, which had before offended my nostrils, only a hundred times intensified, came up to my face, filling me with a deadly nausea. I noticed the lower half of the creature was indefinite, and seemed semi-transparent at least. I could see the framework of the door that led into the gallery through its body. The reason why this creature is bound to Leap Castle remains unknown. But there is no doubt that the castle's elemental is here to stay. They say every house has a heart. I believe that this is so, but I also believe that every castle has a soul, or souls for that matter. They are not only a part of our history, but a veil that allows us to peer into the past, to learn how our ancestors once lived long ago, and also how they died. A fortress that stands the test of time is an undeniable breeding ground for the strange and the unknown. And above all else, one thing is certain. When you walk amongst a castle's silent halls, know that you never walk alone. Thank you for joining me today at Humble Hauntings, a show where the lovers of the unknown will always have a home. If you like this episode, please leave a review, subscribe, or even share it with friends and loved ones. There's always room for one more in this humble family. And when it comes to hauntings, the more, the scarier. But until next time, my spookables, remember, home is where the haunt is. <laughs>